All I can feel is the shadow. And I wish my dad were here to see where I am, see where I'm going. But I know that the only reason that I'm here is because Liz and I lost him. And sometimes I don't know how to square that. I don't know if I can handle paying that kind of price. Everything is all tangled. It's the good stuff and the bad stuff. And it just seems unfair. And on some days, all of the beautiful things in my life break my heart. When the morning comes out bright, giant before your eyes, do you ever think of me? How we used to be. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod 49, the Lodge 49 fan show, where we discuss all of the big themes, all of the mystical realism, all of the fun of your favorite uh, forgotten but always remembered show, Lodge 49. Today, you know, we've been we've been delving into the mysteries of the Lodge and talking to some of the uh, luminous nights over the, over the last couple months. And I got to say, today's a big day. We've got one Wyatt Russell of course, who plays Dud, joining us on the podcast. It's an honor to have you, Wyatt. Thank you, and welcome to Pod 49. It is an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Our honor. Yeah. yeah. So glad to have you. <laughs> so, so we, you know, we're just giant fans of the show, of, of your work. Um, it, one thing that's been fun about being a fan of the show is you can connect with other fans, and it's got a gun, has this little cult following so i know that the folks are out there are going to be excited to listen so right off the bat we kind of start off with a lot of our guests from the lodge um cast and crew we've had a lot of crew on as well and oh no way yeah what's your how'd you get to the lodge you know what was your journey what was your 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 path um well i it was the the script was given to me by my wife my at the time girlfriend uh, her manager, who this was like probably two years before it was made or before it was even greenlit, to be honest. And he said, uh, I think you'd really like this. Or I think why it would really like this it seems he could be really good for it. And I'd read a lot of TV stuff and nothing ever really interested me in, t- in television because they end up kind of becoming soap operas and success. For the most part. Um, <laughs> so it's a weird game you play in television where when you do a television show, you hope for success, but then artistically you have to live with the fact that, uh, most of those shows become soap operatic in nature, whether, unless it's like breaking bad and you're, you know, who, who the hell knows when you're going to be making breaking bad. You don't even know you're making it until like season three, you know? <laughs> so, so, uh, when I read this, when I read Lodge, I was just like on my computer and 
I felt like I had to meet the person who wrote it because it was so similar to my sense of humor and the way I saw the world. Um, just it was so it was so similar to how I. I guess I viewed certain things and I, and I loved his writing style. I loved his voice. It was very unique. You could feel the, the person through the, through the page. And when I'm, uh, it wasn't happening, you know, it was like, Oh, well I called my agent and said, what's going on with this show. This is something that I actually really like. And of course it's like this oddball, <laughs> you know, your agent isn't always like so pumped up about something like Lodge 49 <laughs> because it's, <laughs> it doesn't have a lot of promise to necessarily be a hit, you know? And I, I knew that, but what I did know is that, well, if this ever gets made, it'll be the most different thing on TV. There's no doubt about that. And that I would, that's what I kind of want to want to do. Um, and so they said, no, it's not happening. It's not even greenlit. There's like five other shows that AMC is considering and it's just one of them. And I was like, okay, well, whatever. And then I think about a six months later, maybe a maybe close to a year later it was like okay and they're down to like that this show and another show and they'd like to meet you so I, I we went to this place called patrick's roadhouse where i met peter and jim and patrick's roadhouse for anybody who doesn't know what that's like is like the most lodged place i could try and find in la it's this kind of off the beaten path it's on pch and by the pacific ocean but it's very like lodge esque. When you go inside, you're like, okay, this place is. It literally looks like lot the lodge, <laughs> where they'd all go eat. And we hung out and talked for a few hours, and it was just so apparent that I think I got what they were what they were wanting to do, and they understood that uh, that I wanted to do fit into their world, you know, and that I could bring that character to life in a way. That I thought would be special and I thought could be a good translator for, for Jim and what he was trying to get across and do. And so it was sort of like a match made in heaven immediately. And after uh, they went to back to the network and said, yeah, let's, we'd love to do it with Wyatt. I had done a couple movies before that kind of lent themselves to the role of Dud, which I knew. And I knew that that would be a good stepping stone for me just in terms of the Career-wise, I knew that 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 would be something that the network could look at and have confidence in my ability to execute the the role as needed, and uh, and so it all worked out. And then when that when they kind of greenlit that, um, it was all it was ready to go. And then they started filling out the casts and filling out my Sonia and my sister. It was a you know crazy search for her, and I happened to be in in london while we were she probably told that maybe told that story but i happened to be in london while they were looking for her and found she's like incredible you know i'm it's like how lucky and they didn't stop the search in la you know they went all around the world it was just incredible so they so they filled it out and then it was like all systems go and we got on set and started doing it and i just remember being like i cannot fucking believe this is happening like i can't believe amc <laughs> like put money into it you know but yeah so that's kind of the long and the short of how it all got going let me ask you what was it about it that you thought that was surprising that amc would um take the show on what what aspect of the show did you think was like outside of uh a realistic shot of being greenlit uh because if you look at any television networks 
lineup, whether so you can throw away network TV because that, of course, that that's a whole different world. Um, that just is a, it operates on a different sort of like a whole a whole different uh, set set of machinery. So to, to, to that's like a whole different thing. So setting that aside, when you look at all the shows that are successful. Like networks with networks don't survive on lodge, you know, networks survive on, on pairing lodge with another successful show so that they can take a write off. And, and so when you're looking at game of Thrones or when you're looking at breaking bad or, um, you know, any show that has success, most of the narcos, most of the time it has an element of drugs, violence, or sex in that combination, in that, you know, some, some formula of that, um, and, and, or, and, or straight comedy, which those are dying too, but without a hook from week to week, that's a real, like, gotta watch it next week. It gets to be difficult to say, okay, yeah. An executive whose job is on the line, um, they have families to feed and they have mouths to feed and careers to think about. They don't want to take bet his lodge wasn't an inexpensive show mm-hmm. um you know they still had to build incredible sets and the amount of production that went into making lodge it wasn't you know it was inexpensive but it's still i don't know how many, many millions of dollars per episode it was but it was you know a good amount they have to bet on something that that's going to work for them and i think it did work for them on a level of going you have the most different show on tv that's for sure and i think that was the bet that they were making but I, I didn't think that with all the other stuff that was out there um, that they were going to take a bet on Lodge because it probably was like, how's Lodge going to do overseas? You know, not probably great in terms of people watching it. There'll be people who really connect. And that's what I that's why I did it. And that's what I I, I it connected with me on like a very deep level. Uh and a very surface level at the same time. It was like it, all of the things the show pr- pr- purported to be, it was like as above, so below. It was all of those things were meta inside the show. And I got that. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I wanted to do the show. And I knew there'd be lots of people who got it, but not on a like massive scale. That was never going to happen. And um, so I didn't know whether AMC kind of knew that, but they knew oh, it's really good. Maybe we'll win awards. I don't know what they thought. Um, but to me, it was, uh, it was never about that. And I just couldn't believe that those people, you know, know, there were so many people who we owe a a debt of gratitude to, to be able to, you know, have even ever exhibited the show. Um, I said before, sort of flippantly that maybe that, you know, it it shouldn't have been on a, a network with commercials. And I still believe that, um, but nobody else wanted it. So you know, like, you know, you go get, you go, you got to go sell whatever you you're selling when uh, you go to commercial and you come back, it's kind of antithetical to the show. So that was a kind of a bummer and everybody knew it. It wasn't like, you know, the executives, they, they, they all understood it, but it was the world we were living in. So I don't know. It doesn't really answer your question necessarily, but hopefully it does. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I do think it has to some degree um, that it, a device where there's like something that's uh, being o- like a box that's being opened week after week. But I don't think that that you don't really 
it survives without that, even though it does have that, like the reveal mm. of like the scrolls and stuff and like what all that stuff means and the whole, the idea of Bitcoin being what Orbis was sort of working on. So it does have some who of those. Captain is. And I think yeah. it shows, yeah, who Captain is and it, it capitalizes on that somewhat, but it does it in such a, like a sort of a playful manner. Yeah. That it's, not, it's not like um, some of those other shows that really capitalize on it, like Lost or something, which, you know. Right. <laughs> it never, the thing is, it never, they were in a, in a fun kind of, again, a very meta way, they were always almost making fun of the hook, because it never panned out. That's right. the whole, that was the whole thing. Like every time you were hooked, it was like, oh, it's, that's what it is. And you're like, no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's the scrolls are in there no they're not and and uh and so it was like almost again playing on that trope that every week you're gonna have to have some kind of hook it's gonna bring you back and uh, you know and we, yeah we did it in certain respects but it it was really 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 a show that uh, and, and again i think this is an interesting thing that i loved about it and it's what i said to amc when i met them and I, and I said that to AMC when I met them. I was like, why the fuck do you guys want to put this show on TV? <laughs> to, honestly. And, and, and the best answer ever, uh, uh, I, I won't say her name just because I, I don't know, maybe she doesn't want me to say her name, but um, I'm sitting across from an executive and she's like, I don't know. I just love it. And I was like, that's the greatest answer. I'm like, then... Uh, we're gonna have a, it's gonna be you're gonna have a great time doing the show and uh and so you know all of those things combined i think it was all about the people in the show always it was never not about the people in the show it, it, the people in the world it was never about not about ernie it was never not about dud it was never not about Lit. it was always about the people and how their lives interacted and was probably in my opinion the only show i've seen uh that was really honestly truly about normal people they're normal they're like really normal they're not used as tropes to be like look how normal they are <laughs> you know right. they're not like it's not nor plumbers are normal and we're gonna beat you over the head with how normal they are and 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 it wasn't using them in any way other than exhibiting really honestly the mundane aspects of normal life for most people and how those lives don't have to be seen as normal at all. You know, that, 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 uh, that your life, no matter who you are, where you are, is like a magical experience. And uh, so, yeah, you know, that was what was special about it to me. AMC thought so too, you know, and they took a bet and it did, it worked in a way, you know, like we're talking about it now and people still love it and connect with it. And I think it'll continue to grow as time goes on, you know. Yeah. So uh, you said you had been reading like quite a few TV scripts. Um, I was mostly familiar with your work just in features, like everybody wants some. Um, I think we are who we are, and uh, um, Ingrid goes west. So, um, what was it that made you kind of want to focus on TV, like at that time? Uh, nothing. Nothing. I've never been. I've never been a person who's been like, I want to do TV or I want to do movies. Sure. It was just what had come up. What what's the best thing for you to do at the time? Um, and this was the best thing, you know, and, and, and also it became a time it's, be, it's become a time where unless you're doing big budget movies like Marvel, like DC or comic book movies, um, unless you're doing 
the rare studio movie that gets made, I mean, very rare, then uh, you're not making money doing film. Like, it's just really hard. So in order to, to be seen, and you're seen a lot on TV, and so it just became something where obviously this was going to be a, a story that was going to be told on television. I couldn't have, you know, I guess you could make a movie, but maybe now you could make a movie, but you couldn't make a lodge movie that would, would have been like, you know, a studio movie. No, no one's, nobody's funding that for sure. <laughs> and, and uh, <clears throat> so it was just the right thing at the right time. I just knew this is what I wanted to do. And then now recently, just so much stuff has been on television that you kind of can't get away from it unless you do an independent film or, you know, something that's in the theater. Now theaters are, you know, having a rough go. Hopefully they'll come back when the pandemic begins to whatever the fuck happens with it. I don't know. Maybe there won't be any movie theaters anymore, but um, you know, that was solely the material. It was like, if it would have been a movie, I would have done the movie. You know, it was just the material that was presented to me was, was a television script. So I wanted to ask you a two-part question. Um, so first, how how much of a, how much of the character and of the show was written when you first read it, and then as you went along and as the show progressed, were there certain you know turns of plot or story arcs that particularly surprised you about Dud, or, or that were more exciting to, to delve into than than others, or? Uh, I don't know exactly how much was written before, before, like when I was was signed on to do it. Um, I know they hadn't finished all the scripts yet, um, but I think I think like you know about half of them were done. And every time I'd read one, it was so exciting. And the the in, you know so much of it was in Jim's head uh, before it was written, and he had been wanting to do this. Can, you know, write this kingdom of Long Beach that he had in, in his mind for a long time. And so when we did the first season, it was really, you know, I really understood what it was because everything was based in this, uh, the, the morbidity of him losing his father. You know everything. The whole, the, the, every show's tentacle is is sprouted from that moment at the end. Everybody's kind of mulling around, you know, getting introduced to everybody, and you're not knowing quite what the hell is going on with people, but you're liking the world until Dud drops the bomb on everybody at the end of the first episode in the first show, where he's like, "My dad died. I had a tough year," and it's just like, "Oh my god, this kid needs." help and he's a nice guy and you know so that for in the first season was like a real driving force and in the second season um it was harder because we didn't have that that was sort of taken away so now he had you know resolved that in in a way um in the second season and it was much more about like finding scroll finding the scrolls moving forward kind of keep the lodge together and he was desperate trying to desperately keep the lodge together and in certain ways um you know i i did feel at times a little law a little lost in the character 
because he didn't have the same, the same uh, anchor point, like was not there. And it, at about halfway through, it was, could be frust- It was frustrating at times. And, and halfway through, I kind of realized like, okay, that's what you have to latch on to is the frustration of the lodge people kind of going their own way and disbanding from the lodge. And, uh, and in, and in ways reflected reality, because after the first season, it was like, I don't know, bring it fucking up. And I want to work with these guys forever. So I'll do anything to try and keep it, you know, together. And it did reflect that where I was like, you know, doing anything I could to, to try and make that happen. And, uh, it ended up not, you know, ended up, you know, not being enough to keep it together, but it, it was the two seasons mirrored each other in, in, in an interesting way, for sure. Um, specific storylines. Like I loved Ernie and Dud, you know, I loved Liz and Dud so much, but it was very comfortable. Like we had a very comfortable relationship. Sonia is one of my favorite actors. I've ever, actors, actresses I've ever worked with one of the best people I've ever, you know, she's like the best. Sonia is like one of the most wonderful people you'll ever meet in your life. So like, that was always so comfortable. Like she felt like we felt like siblings, you know, in a way. And I just, I just loved working with her and Ernie, Ernie and Dud's relationship I'd found unique. And so every time that we went to go do something together, like our little journeys together was one of the things, honestly, I really missed in season two. Like I really wanted more journeys with, with Ernie, like going out on the road and plumbing sales. And, you know, that I was always sort of dreaming of those things. Cause Brent and I had such a fun time working together. He's again, such a special person. They all are, everybody is, they were just my closest, uh, you know, who I worked closest with in the show. And so those, the, that like, Ernie and Dud storyline, I think for me was really a special one. I can't pinpoint every reason why. It's an energy thing sometimes with Brent and I. That was almost unspoken, kind of inexplicable and hard to explain. But you know, as I said at times he fe- he feels like you know my, my angel sent from heaven and you know my guiding angel in, in ways. And I think that I felt that way to him sometimes, oddly. Um, so. Our relationship, uh, it was so special. I, I really wish that was my saddest part about not doing the show, to be honest, was not being able to work with Brent, Jim and Peter and everybody as well. But you're working with them in different capacity. They're not on set every day. You're not working with them every day. And when you're working with the other actors, and especially Brent and I, 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 I was really sad about that. I was really bummed out that I wasn't going to be able to do that. So you know, that would probably be the storylines that I remembered most. Every squire needs his knight, right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. We've talked to, like I said, many cast and crew over the last couple of years on, on the show and, and met them when we were in Long Beach. And one of the things I think that really comes through the show and makes it a little bit almost like kind of a, a little bit of a, you know, spiritual connection with the audience is actually that, 
there was something going on, you know, behind the camera, behind the scenes that was very lodgy itself. And a lot of the cast and crew have spoken about this, that there was there was a camaraderie, there was a vibe, there was a sense of community with the cast and crew that was going on in the making of the show that really also fed what came through to us on, across the TV. And it sounds like you're talking about that a little bit with Brent. What was it like just to to work on the show with, you know, and be part of that film lodge? Uh, it was like, it was really... Of course, now you look back on it with even fonder eyes than you did when you were doing it. But I tried my best while I was doing it to appreciate the experience as I was doing it. Even though there are times on every set of any movie or show that's any good where you have disagreements and you're stressed out because you're like, this is going to fucking work, dude. You know, it's like you're still doing that because you're making a television show. But inside of doing that, everybody's love for the project was so deep. And for each other, there was just no, like the egos were so, were very little, like, no, you know, like it was, it, it was just an experience where everybody wanted each other to have a good time and wanted it to continue going. And so down to, I mean, it felt like home in a, in a way, because, you know, I'd bring my dogs to set we worked on this lot that was like actually an old dog food factory converted into a set. And I bring my dog snowman and, and he was like a part of the crew, you know, and he would hang out in my trailer and it was by this, it was just, it, it felt like a home. And then we, we were, we were in there a lot, like all the tavern stuff, all that stuff is in on, on a lot or a lot. It's on, on a, you know, funky stage studio. And, it just felt like in all the like the production offices were right there. Like everything was right there. It was all very, it was almost like a big budget indie. Mm-hmm. And we would do Sunday dinners, you know, with the cast. Um, and that happened towards the end. It was like just a special thing that we started to do. Dave kind of put together, Dave would always spearhead like a Sunday dinner, you know, did a few of those and that was always so nice and had nice little hangouts and like, it was just easy. It was just an easy vibe. It was an easy feeling. I had a lot of health stuff actually going on in season two that just being that I don't, nobody really knew about, but like just being in uh, that world and with those people like made, made me feel much better, you know, and really helped me get through a time that was a little difficult just with health shit stupid stuff it's fine now um but it was like you know i having do to do that on another set with is hell you know it's these people were really special in every way and the crew always reflected it too and i you know there was it, it mirrored life for a lot of different people in a lot of different ways um spiritually uh that i you know you've never had another job really do and, and healingly so not not uh egotistically narcissistically feeding yourself it was sort of these worlds that you travel through to get to the other side of things when you were reading the script um and it appealed to you right away uh was it the humor was it the sense of community that was in the storytelling was it the 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 critique of late stage capitalism like what was it would you say that kind of hooked you uh the most i think uh 
It was the ability for Jim to communicate big ideas and uh, big thoughts, like you know, existential big thoughts that we've all had in this in this sort of humorous surface, dumb in air quotes way, mm. and uh, you know that to me is an art. And the Coen Brothers do it really good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's some people who do it so well. Whereas the Coen Brothers movies, they're never worlds that you've lived in before. Really. Maybe No Country for Old Men, kinda. But, like, even the way that they do that, they, they build their worlds. They build them from these sort of, you know, like, Odyssean tales you know these big bigger than life larger than life joseph campbell type tales that they then give you the reality of the world they're living in and then the reality of the world they're living in totally reflects all of the stages of life that you're going through or have gone through but they do it in like ways that make you crack up and and utilize characters sort of not as tropes because I, I that, that tropes is has like kind of a bad connotation, but they they archetypally utilize characters in really smart, almost uh, biblical ways, and 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 Jim's an Jim's an author, you know, it's he he write he writes from an author's perspective, where it just felt very it it, it felt so from the inside of of someone's head. It was so from the inside. It was not like he wasn't writing for anybody else other than him. And he wasn't writing for an audience that he didn't know he had. You know, that, that it was not happening that way. It was so uniquely authentic. And, and the authenticity of what he was writing, to me, was what, was what got me. Because it was the only thing I'd read that was like, holy shit, this is this is really fucking special and good. Who is this guy? And then you meet him. He's the most normal person you've ever met in your life. He drives a 93 Saturn. He won't change it. He won't move. He's like the most normal person. And I connect with him on that way because it's like, yeah, I'm just a a normal guy. I, I don't have a very exciting life, but I think the things, the way I look at the world is exciting, but I'm not an exciting person from the outside. So like, that came through in the script. So all of the ideas about whatever it is that Jim was talking about, whether it be late stage capitalism or whether it be like community or the people involved, all of those things were just the icing on the cake. For it was like, okay, all those things are there. Like, yeah, the community is there, the comments are there, this and that. I don't have to. I don't have to like, you know, connect with any of those things as long as I connect with the writer's authenticity that he knows that he's connecting with them. And so that is, was what was, what was so apparent to me. Did you, uh, did you have much interest in philosophy or like Joseph Campbell archetypal stuff before the show or um, did it kind of spark an interest in it for you? No, I mean, I majored in philosophy in college and for the two years that I went to college. Yeah. 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 I studied, I studied college. I studied, you know, like the basics, we, you know, Nietzsche and Kant and Descartes yeah. and, you know, I, I, I did, you know, I was always interested in it. I always loved it. Um, I was always a, I get, you know, probably you call yourself a big thinker. That means to me, that's like, means you're a small thinker, but you know, you think about the big, you think about the big questions and I like, 
uh, was always interested in stuff like that. And, uh, so, you know, and Joseph Campbell, I'd read heroes, a thousand faces. I'd gone, I'd done a class on that in college. Not that I retained a ton of the information. I think I probably retained more information when I read it later. Um, but yeah, it was, it was apparent that this, that this person had, and had studied it or had read it or had been interested in it or had spent a life in literature, which I had to, I mean, I, I, I love to read. I, I read, you know, I, 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 I enjoy that stuff. I don't like leading with it because it always makes you sound like a, a douche to me, but <laughs> it, it's, it's fun. It's exciting. And it was the first person that I had read that felt like they interpreted material the way I and uh and so that's that's sort of what got us i think together when we talked to brent a few weeks ago he said something i think you'll appreciate he said the lodge 49 is a show for people who read yeah yeah <laughs> i know i i i remember i think brent brent's been using that line since like 2009 <laughs> I, 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 uh, I uh we were in austin I think he said that in in Austin when we were like I think it was the first year the show was on, and and uh, I I cracked up and I was like yeah it's a great show you're gonna love the show if you don't own a TV <laughs> you know so like it's so it's so true it's it's a show for 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 people who read it, it it's it really is and um, and also it is for people who like good storytelling and. Large, uh, large storytelling. There was always a crossover between, uh, you know, I had done a lot of horror movies or not a lot, but enough, you know, with Jim Mickle, who's a really great filmmaker who did, we are, we are, and he did uh cold in July and I'd done shimmer Lake. I'd done, I'd done things with genre elements in them and grew up on genre. My partner, uh, business partner, my brother, we have a production company together and, they grew up on on uh, like Evil Dead too. So working with you know, there's a reason that Bruce Campbell was captain. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, that that's not a mistake. So so you know, when it comes down to uh, that that kind of thing, there's also like a, a heavy genre element um, to the show in a weird way that I don't think people counted on having. That I think did speak to those people um, who enjoy that kind of thing, because there is a, you know, there's an element of that to, to the world that Lodge was in, which I always thought was important to like, ex, you know, to not exploit, but to um, lean on because that was, you know, those comic book stories and those, you know, genre stories are big tales. They're big tales of redemption and revenge or, you know, connect. this was a big tale of connection. <laughs> it was just a different tale but it was it was you know it didn't have all of the elements the other ones necessarily do um but it was the, in the same vein you know i totally you know we watched it two three four times you know especially as we we're going back you know doing the podcast and and on my third and fourth viewing that's kind of the thing that's hit me over the head too is like this is a this is one of the best genre shows I've seen in a long time, <laughs> yeah. you know, like it really like it, you know, I mean, you can see, you know, and I'm actually even, you know, somewhat pro popcorn movie to a degree, but like 
you know, you don't see that level of like the same kind of themes and even like their own version of the act action sequences, like the, the football chase. And, you know, I hadn't seen a football chase that good since the flash Gordon movie, you know, like uh, (laughs) I was a kid, you know, like it it did such a great job at some of those things that like, you're like, wow, this is, is, this is really high quality genre storytelling. Oh, totally. Like, you know, you have, if parasites coming out of people's noses you've got like those those rooms that the hidden rooms and the and the shark tooth moment where you're pulling a shark tooth out somebody's leg and it was gnarly looking and like there was a lot of stuff in it that was really like whoa okay you know that's kind of that was that sort of sort of it was that was that was the point of the show is it's supposed to be lighthearted and fun. And all of a sudden you actually see the shark tooth coming out of his leg. It's like, Oh my God. Um, and so, you know, there was, it was filled with that stuff, which, you know, I always thought was, was really fun to do and really cool. You know? Well, yeah, we've talked like a lot about how, um, you know, Dud is really put through the ringer emotionally, like before the show even starts, but once the show starts and even before it, he just endures like injury after injury after injury, you know, yeah. he's just, uh, so I guess my question is, did hockey goaltending help you intervene with the uh, hummus sling, um, attack from Lenore? <laughs> uh, it sort of did, even though I'd never stop a puck like that, but I, that was the day where I was like, <laughs> I was like, how am I going to like, I was reading in the script and I'm like, is this too wacky, dude? I'm like, this is fucking pretty wacky. And he was like, I know, I know, I know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it will be. I'm not sure. And and I was like, okay, the only way to really do it is to like jump in front of her like you're like you're taking a bullet. Yeah. You know, with your arms down by your side and like <laughs> doing like a secret service member would take a bullet to make the gag work. Otherwise it's like a weird gag. (laughs) I got to commit to the gag. Otherwise the gag doesn't work. And it ended up being really funny just because it was so stupid. But uh, yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess it kind of, I guess goaltending sort of did in a way, although it, it was more just me being like, what would a secret service person do if they were going to stop a bullet? Very similar to how you jumped in front of the truck to, uh, save um celia yeah that was a funny one too that one was also like jake uh schreier who's directed uh that episode and he directed um i think the finale of the first one i can't remember jake's one of my great friends now but um he another one where i'm like dude this isn't gonna work this is so nuts like how am i gonna get run over by truck like what is this like how the fuck is this gonna work and we worked with the stunt guys because it needed to be funny. You know, if it's just getting hit by a truck, it's not necessarily funny. It's like, Oh my God, it's weird. And then, and then you have to be underneath the, so there's like parts to the joke. So there's not, it's not just, he gets hit by a truck. It's like, he gets hit by the truck, but the truck doesn't actually hit him. He's over the truck. Then you see him underneath because the truck, the joke is the truck is so high. It just went over him. Right. Mm -hmm. And, it was like, how are we going to make this work? So it was another one where we had to work where it was like stiff in the body and go down flat. So you buy that when he hits the ground, he's flat on the ground. And, and, and it was stuff like that. that was really fun to work out with Jim and Peter and whoever the director was in that instance, Jake, because it was, 
physic very physical <laughs> in nature it was like a lot of physicality that you know falling down in one of those mats over and over and over again i was like okay i'm done i got it i've done it like 15 <laughs> times you can't fall down in, uh, anymore um but yeah like all of that stuff was really fun and also a pre- pretty big learning experience because there was a lot of figuring it out on the, on the fly and then when you see it work you're like oh shit that worked okay, remember that, that like what you did, because it, it worked. And I've been able to carry a lot of the stuff that I've done and launched to other things, just in terms of what works and what doesn't. One of the things we've talked about um, a lot is, you know, you've got a, this hockey background, you know, you've, you're, you've now played an action hero, you've played a baseball player, and Dud is almost like anti-athletic you know you like yeah. you look you like get him off the softball field you know take the golf club out of his hands was it hard <laughs> to like act like you were you did not know your way around to any kind of athletic equipment oh i loved it it's like because it's like I, there was like an athletic element to being unathletic you know it was like again it was the same kind of thing where it's just you got to be you got to be terrible at this sport and it's so much fun to like how terrible can i be you know, without <laughs> how bad can it get without being overly like so bad that people all of a sudden don't buy that you're a human being. And, uh, and so that was, I loved being bad at everything, you know, like that was, that was one of my favorite things to do. I mean, even the smaller physical stuff, like the commitment to the limp is really something I have to imagine that involved some like quite a yeah. bit of physicality there as well. Uh, that that was just remembering, you know, it was like, okay, remember that, you know, say before the semen started, like you got a limp on your left foot yeah. and you'd, you know, limp, limp around. And then, and then it would, it needed to get better at times and worse at times mm. <laughs> because yeah. it, it was feeling pretty good at some, sometimes. And then it was like feeling really bad when it, towards the end. Um, and second season two, all of a sudden the limp became bad because his leg was screwed up. And, uh, and so that was a fun thing to track, you know, it's also one of those things where, uh, once you establish it, it just becomes sort of how you walk in the show. You know, you just start walking like that. Kinda you're walking like it's so much. You just start walking like it and you don't, you don't remember anymore, you know? Yeah. Real quick, we gotta ask. Um, did you get to keep any of those Bajas? We talked to Carol Patel, but did you know? Did, did you get to keep one at least? I I definitely have one of those Bajas. I got a whole bunch of stuff in Atlanta, uh, in a in a in my in my home there. I I've got like a basement full of just like lodge clothes that I've been meaning to bring back to LA. But like every time I go to Atlanta to work or something, I'm like, Oh God, am I going to bring these back? Or should I just like leave them in this bag? And and so there's this bag, this huge bag full of lodge stuff that I don't know what to do with, but I don't want to get rid of. Um, and, and, and stuff that like, I love because it kind of is like what I wear for the most part especially in LA, those Bajas are like classic, you know, they're so good that company Faraday makes them and they're really fucking great. So I, I, I don't want to get rid of them, but then I thought like, Oh, maybe I'll like, you know, slowly sign them away or somebody wants them from the lodge fandom. I'll be like, okay, the, you know, 
the tiger shorts are up for auction. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. You know, it goes to some kids' charity. I don't know. I always thought I I, I I've dreamed with Jim. You guys will love this. Uh, that like what the what we should real what this whole thing really should have really was was just an excuse to open up a bar like in LA <laughs> called Lodge Forty Nine. Where like yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's what the whole thing. It's not about it's not about doing a TV show. It's about actually just opening up the bar. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll run it. Forget the dude. Forget the fucking thing. Like we'll go just open the the thing up, and then we'll be able to go to the to go to the you know and all and all fans of Lodge like you know or whoever's a whoever wants to join a social order that has no rules. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and it's just about being like a nice person. That's pretty much all you got to do. Like, you know, your dues are your dues are safe with us. Yeah. It, it's uh, our I'll Harry Potter out. world. Yeah, yeah that's kind of <laughs> totally what it is. Because like, I, someone has the set. I don't know who's got. Oh, I no fuck. I know who ha- who has it. I know exactly who has the set. <laughs> I became friends with him, and but he took the whole tavern, and he's got it. And I was like, wow. All right. Well, like we just go literally put that bar in because the bar is incredible. It's really as good as it looks in the show. It's yeah. like that good. And they built it. It's incredible. I don't know where they got it from or if they built it entirely themselves, but it is uh, the coolest bar. It's doesn't, it's not like a set bar. It was real. Mm. Everything about it was real. All the ta everything was real. So you walk in there and you could like pour yourself beer. It was cool. It wasn't fake, you know. It didn't feel fake. So it wasn't like a set location. It was. It was the they built it. For, I mean, it wasn't like a, uh, so like a place they rented out. I assumed it was ah. like a real bar that they bought out and just. No, we we. So it. the way it would happen would be like so. There was this big warehouse that used to be a dog food factory, but it was a factory building. But it was huge. It was massive. It was like you know a bajillion square feet, and it had two sections. So on the left. There was uh, Duds and Liz's apartment. Uh, it was built all in the soundstage. Then there was right across from that was Ernie's apartment. Mm. Um, and then, you know, they had these big blue sheets they'd pull and you could make it look like the ocean and like, you know, they could do whatever they wanted with it. And then on the other side of the hallway of the entrance, there was uh the tavern you'd walk into the tavern you'd walk in see all all the pictures of the sovereign protectors that was uh a set and then like it was this maze like a labyrinth of where the office was and this and the the uh sovereign protectors office where larry loomis's office was and they'd change out certain stuff then on the right hand side was always the tavern and the tavern was the tavern. It never moved. It never changed. It never shifted. It was always the exact same. And it like, you know, was incredible. Like it was really shockingly great. Um, so it was always, it always felt so good to be in there. Sometimes I'd go in there and just hang out, you know, alone. Um, or we'd go in there and hang out together. If there was some downtime cause it was so nice, you know? Mm-hmm. What uh? What was it like filming that scene where you and Champ are are riding around in the in the golf cart having appliances? Oh, uh, that was so much, David. That was a, that was so <laughs> much fun. 
because it was an actual they set up like a little course for us so we had to drive around and we were we were laughing our asses off but they they didn't fight they like dropped stuff from the ceiling when we would go by it so it looked like the they were launching it at us but it was like that was one of the that was one of the more fun things to do for sure and he and Dave is just such a funny guy. And the stuff that he had to do was so funny that we were cracking, cracking each other up. But that was a blast. And it was like dark, it was like late at night too. So you're doing it like four in the morning, which makes you feel even like cra- weirder and crazier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so one of the things Chris told me I should check out the show. And um I actually did a funny thing for me and I kind of watched it almost right away. Sometimes people give me suggestions and it takes me months to get around to it. And uh but I really fell for the show because, you know, I, I, my brother-in-law has a pool company and I worked with him when I was younger and um, before he was married to my sister. Um, and I had also lost my father. Uh, he was much older than, you know, Dud's dad in the show. Um, but I also have uh, boy-girl twins. And so I was always. Oh, very, wow. Yeah. So like the idea, the, the relationship between um, Dud and Liz to me was always very touching. And uh, I really kind of dwelled on it a lot because. You know, of course, my kids, you know, they're siblings, so they fight a lot, but they do love each other. But it means a lot to me. And um, so I was curious how much research you guys put into that, because I have a theory of who is the older one and who is the younger one. And I'm wondering, I, I put Liz on the spot this way. T- uh, sorry, Sonia. Oh, oh, my God. Well, so I'm curious uh, what say. I always thought that Liz was older. Uh I guess just because Dud didn't have it like <laughs> together as as much as she as she did, but then you kind of learn in season two that she doesn't, you know, she's she's having her own struggles as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I just always thought Liz was older because the way he like looks up to her in some ways. I don't know. What what's your theory? I think Liz is the younger one because I think sometimes the, the younger ones are just a little bit more practical. Oh, uh, okay. In a way. Um, I also have a friend with twins. There's like, cause if the one that comes out first is a, and the one that comes out second is B. And so there's a lot of um, compare. There's a lot of similarities, I think between friends of mine who have twins between their A and their, and my A and their A and their B and my B and stuff. So um so yeah, I always kind of think of Liz as sort of the B in, in okay. A. That makes sense. I can go with that too. I don't know if the, we. I guess we never said it in the show, but I feel like she said she also thought that that Liz was older. Right. Yeah, I believe she yeah. did, and it does. It does kind of feel like that way for someone who doesn't like isn't in on the whole like twin mythology thing. Like she certainly seems like yeah, like you're saying like. At least at first, you get the impression that she's more responsible and all that. Although it'd yeah. only be by minutes anyway, right? So, right, right. <laughs> yeah. It's Although for them, that's all you'd need. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's really strange how much it, it you know, it, it really has some form of effect, I guess. I'm not really sure how or why, but there's definitely something to it. So, yeah. I, 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 we didn't do a ton of research into twins because it, Honestly, like it felt so comfortable immediately. It was just like, well, let's just right. do this. Yeah. You know, we don't need to do like, it's just it's, uh, being on that couch was like easy. Yeah. Maybe Jim needed to ask, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pro- probably. Probably. Yeah. You're probably yeah. right. 
Yeah, we all love those those TV watching scenes where you're just together and you have such a comfortable, you know, it's obviously been a tradition your entire lives and like you both sit in the same place. You got your certain language of commenting on the shows. That was always a pleasure. Yeah, that was a that, that was always a pleasure to do. It was that really was just like so easy and comfortable. Like the, you know, I need to add little things here and there and everybody was just it's you have two people sitting on a couch for the crew. It's easy. It's like, yeah, it's, it's easy for everybody. So that was always like a wonderful little thing. And then you had like the yoga bro and shooting on that a little bit. And uh... oh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I met him in a class in a, it was so, oh, that's a funny story. He is the best guy. He's the nicest guy. Such a nice person. Um, a truly genuinely like a nice human being, you know? And I went to a yoga class in LA and I was like, you know, there was a guy in front and he's so in shape and so fucking good at it. And you're like, God damn you. <laughs> he's right in front, right in the front middle. And the teacher's like, you know, knows his name and is they're like, you know, it's, it's, it's all, it's all that. And you're just like, God, this guy's unbelievable. Everything about him's perfect. And I'm in the back, like, skinny and out of shape and trying my best and uh so i leave and i forgot if if i said anything to him i'm not sure uh but i leave and uh and i get to atlanta this is like months later and i get to atlanta and it's like i forgot his name on the show uh i think his name is trent i think it's bobby but i think his real name is trent okay and uh but bobby and I see Bobby, a picture by Bobby, and I'm like, and I'm always been asking, like, who'd you get for Bobby? And he's like, this guy's great. And I look up on the on the board, and I'm like, I fucking know that guy. I'm like, how do I know that guy? <laughs> and it hits me, and I'm like, oh my god, he's a yoga guy from my from Sherman Oaks. <laughs> and, and I saw him, I was like, dude, I know you. Like, were you were in the thing? You're unbelievable at yoga. And he's like, yeah. And so that was really fun because it was like some sort of weird, you know, Lodge-esque meeting beforehand. Uh, but super nice guy. I always wish he, I always wanted him to come back because he ended up being like sort of like, you know, you kind of loved him at the end. You know, when he's leaving, you sort of love the guy. He's like such a sweet person, clearly. Um, but that was kind of a funny casting story. Yeah. Sherman Oaks, I actually saw him at the Whole Foods in Sherman Oaks, too, so. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't say anything, but people He's do very anything, handsome. You know? He's very hard to miss. I mean, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's like disrespectful how handsome he is. But, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It uh, yeah, how many, uh, how many donuts do you think you ended up eating while you were on that? I know, I assume you had like a spit bucket or something, but boy, there's some. Did, but... God. I probably ate probably 40, 50 donuts <laughs> throughout that show. Like whole full donuts. You start whole taking donuts. little bites. <laughs> you know, you start going real small on the bites after after the first donut. You're like, oh, why did I eat the whole donut? But yeah, I did have a lot of donuts, but then they'd always have to get rid of the donuts. You know, at the end of right. the day, it was like, who wants donuts? So it was like, all right, I'll have another donut. <laughs> <laughs> they were always really waste. Good. No waste. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. you know, 
you know, obviously we're all sad about the lodge. Although I think, you know, one of the great things is that when we talk to fans, we talk to cast and crew, it's always a celebration, right? Not a, not a funeral. Um, but you know, you, what are you excited about? You're, you're, uh, filming stuff now. You sort of got some stuff in the works. You know, I think in some ways you've done a lot of stuff before lodge, but lodge kind of, you know, was a transition for you. And now you're kind of jumping off from there. What are you excited about that's coming out or that you're working on? For sure. Lodge was a transition for me because, it, because it's like baseball. You have to get a lot of at bats in my opinion to do, to be get, to get better, uh, see a lot of pitches and lodge allowed me to do that because it was a lot of comedy and it was also a lot of not, you know? So it allowed me to do lots of different things run the spectrum so that when another inevitably production comes calling and says, well, you know, would he be able to do this? So they're asking themselves that question. I can pull a piece of tape that I'm proud of or think that would fit what they're doing and be able to give them that. Uh, <clears throat> so that was what, that was one of the gifts that Lodge gave me. Um, and so now what I'm doing is uh, I just did, I just finished this movie that I produced uh, called Broke. And it's by this guy named Carlisle Eubank. He's a first time filmmaker. Uh, he's written, a, he, wrote, he wrote a movie called The Signal. That was a pretty good movie. Um, and uh, he, he wrote this about a bareback bronc rider who gets stranded in the snow and then his life plays in flashback as he tries to survive. And you see all of his decisions and his life in this sort of year and a half, two year period take this slide downhill. He can't stop riding Bronx. He can't stop getting hurt. He can't stop taking pills. He can't stop destroying his life. And he gets himself in this predicament and he's sort of just a kind of a straightforward drama told with an interesting time chronological element uh, that we just finished shooting in Montana. It was hell um, in the winter time and then a wonderful in the summer. It's a summer winter movie. So there's, a whole winter unit that we shot, which was cool, um, which is like survival movie in the snow. And then there's a beautiful bronc riding summer Montana version that will flash back in between, which is pretty cool. Um, and then I just uh, am currently doing this show called Under the Banner of Heaven, which is the John Krakauer book All right. about, uh, the, about a Mormon family who descends into fundamentalism well not the family the two brothers i play dan uh who's a very possessed character um and uh, he's still alive he's in prison in utah and it's been really great so far andrew garfield's the the lead of that and uh daisy edgar jones and sam sam uh, uh worthington and myself and a bunch of other awesome actors are doing this this thing in Calgary, and it's been it's been great, and it's been lovely. It's also been kind of crazy because you're for me specifically, I'm going, oh my god, I'm playing this guy who you know kills people in a really brutal, horrible way, but he's a happy guy. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's. It's been interesting. It's been great. We'll see how it turns out. Hopefully it's good. Uh, Dustin Lance Black wrote is the writer showrunner of it. He wrote Milk and won an Academy Award for that. He's great. He's an unbelievable writer. Uh, David McKenzie, who did Hell or High Water, is directing the first two episodes. Ron Howard's 
producing it. It's a great team. Um, so that's what I'm doing now. And then I'm back home for a little bit being a dad because I haven't, I, I hadn't got a lot of time to do that because I had to be away so much. So now I'm doing what I really want to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how it's a, a daughter, I believe. Am I correct or am I wrong? A son. Son, son buddy. And, and how, how long has buddy been with, with you? Uh, eight months. Wow. Yeah. He's the best. It's the greatest thing in the world. all time. So that's the job I really want, but the other one has to fund that job. Right. <laughs> yes. Sure. Yeah. Delicate balance. Yeah, um, exactly. Well, I, you know, we, we're just over an hour and, you know, we don't want to take too much of your time. So just let me say again, you know, we really appreciate this. We've been, we, we've been shocked every time, you know, a cast or crew is, is agreed to come on this show. Or Anything for watch. And so, yes, thank you. Um, so, and, but we did have one, we, we, you know, we're going to take advantage of having you here and ask one question. Uh, Claire is going to uh, tee it up for Claire. You know, we've got to ask it since we got the cliffhanger. So go for it, Claire. <laughs> What do you think happened at the end of that show? What do you think happened to Dud there? Um, do you have any ideas about where it was going? Do you have any places yeah. you would have liked it to go? Well, it's kind of a bummer if I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Did you talk to Jim about that? No. no. We talked well, to Jim about it. We hadn't seen the ending yet. Well, yeah. yeah. So the first... It, the the show was supposed to be four seasons and that's uh the four elements so that you've you got water and you got fire and uh so you know what was happening was a sort of like uh, you know that fall through the door was not supposed to be that way mm-hmm. he was supposed to he was supposed to wake up uh in in the i mean the way jim pitched i mean, I feel like i'm pitching jim's like secrets but i don't know i guess we're not fucking doing it so um maybe maybe i'll pitch maybe i'll say it and someone will be like that's a great idea let's do it uh, <laughs> but we he had sat me down and been like so that kind of his idea was that he wakes up in the next season as uh in Damn. the crimean war and he is in Harwood Fritz Merrill's body. Wow. Going through oh. uh, oh, and wow. and like experiencing war and uh, experiencing what Harwood Fritz Merrill ex- experienced in that like horrible, disastrous thing that uh, brought him to want to create connection and create the lodge. So his his PTSD, his own mental health issues from war were what we're going to sort of explain like, this is what it was. And so, you know, through Harwood's Fritz Merrill's pain uh, came, was born this connective place. And that's, I know one of the ideas that Jim was, was toying with at the end of season two, because we talked about it. Um, And I loved that idea. Obviously I thought it was really, again, unique and special and followed the track and sounded very expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, that was, it was a shame, you know, it was a shame that we didn't get to do it. And and, uh, I'm totally bummed out about it that that wasn't going to happen. That's, you know, I always still like weirdly hold out hope. Like maybe I'll be like 50 years old. And then all of a sudden one day someone will call and I'll go like, Hey, uh, 
Do you ever thought about doing a third season of Lodge? Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. You know. yeah, like Twin Peaks. It was like what, twenty-eight years later or something. You know? Seven, uh, yeah, twenty-seven. I'll take it. I'll take whatever I can get at that point. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'll take however much lodge I can get at that point. Well, um, Wyatt, thank you so much for being on this. Uh, it's been a, it's just a pleasure to have you on and hear your stories and hear your thoughts. And it could not have gone better for us. So thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you guys you are so awesome. Much. I love you guys for doing this. It means oh. lodge means lodges one of the more special things that I've ever done and had the privilege to do. So knowing that you guys are out there and that people like you guys have connected with the show in ways that I feel like I thought it hopefully would when I read it the first time in my weird little room um, makes me feel, you know, very happy and uh, will continue to for as long as I live. So keep doing it, you know, for as long as they'll let you. Yeah. and i just am really yeah thank you guys for for you know without without you guys and i know jim said this and everybody said this but without you guys there's no lodge that's the whole point of the lodge obviously so without you guys there's no such thing as the lodge and uh you know we all owe you a pretty big debt of gratitude for your guys support over the years extending beyond the show's run so on behalf of all of the cast you know, I'm sure they've all said this to you, but thank you guys so much for doing what you do and believing in the show like you do and caring about it like you do. It's what makes the world nice to be on for while we're on it. So thanks. I'll say thank you. You won't find it by your